Movie Relics. Welcome to a special edition of Movie Relics. Yes, we've been taking a break due to family health issues, but with the rise of Skywalker and the end of the Star Wars Skywalker saga, we felt it necessary to make this podcast and share our thoughts about this amazing movie franchise. Let's take a look at the trailer. instinct. Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny. today to help break down this amazing film is Hayden Fryer from Siberian Productions and my fellow movie lover Daniel Ferrin. Thanks for being here today guys. Hey thanks for having me. So, yeah, thanks again. Let's start off talking about what do we like about this movie. Well John Williams score was fantastic. I mean what's that nine films in a row that he's given us something that's very operatic. There were some very nice shots. There was some great pacing. Uh, the camera blocking was gorgeous. The actors were fantastic for what they had to work with. Someone else is probably going to have to pick up at this point because I'm running out of things. Uh, <laughs> the locations were fantastic. Like the, the whole Death Star sequence with those giant waves, it was just so cool just to watch yeah. that happening. And then, I mean, the, the lightsaber fight was a little bit lacking, but to have the waves negotiate around them and... and I, I thought that was so cinematic. It was cool. 
I think there was some really, really high emotional points in that. And um, so I'm sure we'll talk about those in a bit more detail, but things to do with Chewie and even the way they wrapped up Leia, you know, after the passing of Carrie Fisher, I thought they did that really well. Uh, I quite like the 3PO arc. arc. I thought that that was uh, a really nice touch in the movie. Um, Yeah, just there were some really good moments, but I was like Hayden. I said the music just, you know, John Williams, that man, he's the man. It really does make Star Wars like you. It doesn't feel like Star Wars without John Williams doing the score for it. Mm-hmm. And how impressive that he was able to do all nine. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? It's just it's, continuity the whole way. I mean, how old is he? He's got to be pushing ninety by now, right? I think so. Yeah, or maybe late eighties, something like that. Yeah. So he's. I mean, it's a phenomenal effort, and it's amazing. Well, it's amazing catalog to capstone it with. I've, I've got to agree with you, Daniel. The CPO storyline, I think, was probably the best out of all nine films that CP- C-3PO has had. Like, some of the lines he said were genuinely funny. He wasn't as stiff as he usually is. Um, even even the fact of not being able to decode the message was pure C-3PO. He just couldn't care less about the story, had to stick to his protocols. And, yeah, the little... I can't remember the little mechanic's name, but they're saying... Um, he rivals the cuteness of Baby Yoda now. Oh, that's pushing it. That is pushing <laughs> it. <laughs> what was his name? It was like Bogger something, wasn't it? Something Frick. I can't remember the first part. Maybe Bogger Frick? Something like Babu, that. Babu Frick? Babu Frick. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. I've got IMDB open at the moment, so. We need to see him again. Mm. He's, uh, he's a little joyful. Yay! <laughs> probably, probably the best part of it. Yeah. He's, he's like a little Oompa Loompa. <laughs> He was very happy once he powered up the droid. <laughs> and I think the fact that he was a practical effect, like he looked like an actual puppet. He yeah. didn't look CGI to me. I mean, that's the probably best part about the, the recent films. Is they've, used, they've used a lot of puppetry for those sort of characters. Mm. Mm. There is The CGI is more augmentation than replacement. Yeah, they've found the balance now. Like, they've worked out that, you know, if we have to use CGI, you shouldn't be able to tell that we're using it. Even yeah. use of the ships and things like that. Like when Ray was in the water with the wave skipper, I think that's what it was called. It was obviously CGI, but you couldn't tell. Yeah, there's yeah. a bit more weight to it. Yeah. A bit more tangibility. Yep. Yeah. I think I think that's also when you think about like the original ones, everything had this like gritty, you know, it's lumps and bumps and all that. And when they did the prequels, everything got smoothed out. So that's where the CGI really stood out. Whereas the originals, and then they've kind of gone back to that nitty-gritty, everything's got bumps, it's not even, it's not flat, and that, and that sort of makes it give you that more real-world feel rather than being pumped out of a computer. Yeah. yeah, I think the problem is, though, half the intention, I think, in the prequels, is that they wanted that shininess about it. They wanted that everything's at its prime and peak, mm-hmm. and the dirty, the dirty world aesthetic was probably more practical, I guess, as well, for the original trilogy. So and cheaper. Yeah, and I think going back to that practicality definitely has keeps the continuity in that feeling too. Yeah. How good was it in this film to see all our heroes together again? Like, I think that was one thing missing from, from the previous film is that our heroes were, were really scattered. They never really had much screen time together. But to have Ray, they, Finn, and Poe all together with Chewie... They really don't in Force Awakens either. Like, Ray and uh, Finn are together for most of the film... But Poe sort of comes in and disappears for, what, two-thirds of the film. 
Yes, yeah, true. So, yeah. we, so we don't really see much time with them all interacting as a trio, and even this film doesn't really have it as much. Like, there's a nice scene where they're bicker, uh, where Ray's bickering with Poe, and it feels like some sort of bond has developed over that period, mm. but there isn't much of it. I mean, to be fair, she only meets him at the end of Last Jedi. I was quite surprised after reading um, about Rise of Skywalker how many things were left out. Like, I didn't realise until after the film that that whole beginning sequence where Kylo Ren was fighting the guys, he was on Mustafar then, and the castle he was going into was Darth Vader's castle. I didn't realise that until I read about yeah. it. They didn't... Just, wasn't it a lava planet? Yeah, apparently it's been confirmed that that was that was actually Mustafar and the castle where he found the uh, what was the thing called the Wayfinder. Yep, that was mm. Darth Vader's castle in ruins. That is complete fuck up. Why? <laughs> that, that should have been really established in the film because that would have given a lot more grounds. Yeah, like yeah. The, the movie kind of skims over that entire section, so it would have actually given a bit more precedence. Yeah. But wasn't there a whole lot of trees that he was fighting them around at the beginning, or did I just am I imagining something? No, there was trees. It was snow. Which yeah, was I was going to say there's not was trees, which, but there was snow, wasn't there? Oh, it might have been ash. Uh, ash. Because he picks yeah. up the dude with the blade and then dumps him in the snow, and snow bounces up everywhere. I'm sure it was snow. I'll have to, I don't know. I read about it. It was confirmed because someone asked J.J. Abrams where was Kylo Ren, and apparently yeah. that's where he was. See, that's pretty much my entire thoughts in the film is that section, not showing that. Mm. Like, that's a complete misstep. Like, they should have shown him, you know, sieging the fucking castle on the way in. Yeah. Like, establish the fucking... good, yeah, just to have that, that connection. Yeah. Like, even just having him even operating out of there makes more sense. Like, he was idolizing Darth Vader. So operating out of Mustafar and actually having the castle for himself, like that would have been mm. perfect symmetry on the films. Might be worth having a when you know have, next time you watch it, just having a listen to the musical cues because there were all those through the movie. Maybe there was a cue to the fight or something in there. I just can't remember it. Like I said, yeah, I did notice they'll drop in hints and like re. Uh, what's the term for it? It's like, is it the character's theme or is yeah. it a motif? It's like a small motif for a section of the character, and they're just they'll drop in that throughout the film, and they'll call him back on um, resonance bits or more memory bits. So if they're echoing a certain section or echoing a certain character or a line, they'll drop in audio bits in to suit that and throughout yep. the score, which yep. is a nice touch. And they added a bit more familiar uh, familiarity to it because it feels like Williams is going back through the best of the whole series to do that. Let's let's go around the circle and and try and stick with what was the one thing that that perhaps irked you or the one thing you would change or just didn't make sense do you want to start us off daniel well i'm just going to say i'm just going to throw in one last really big moment and it was that they i think they got it perfect because they really pulled on the heartstrings that moment when yeah i said everyone knows they said that you know when leia dies and chewie finds out that was a perfect moment the way he reacted you just went you sat there and went Oh, yep. Yeah, okay, I'm feeling it. So I and thought that was that was a top moment. And the moment that ruins it was Maz Quintana gives him the fucking medal from A New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> like forty years later, for fuck's sake. I was gonna say you said you know that's uh, that was that was pure fan service. And that. Like what the I, hell is Maz even doing there? 
like, why was she even in the film? It's like a case of, oh, yeah, remember her? She was in the last two ones. Mm. But she had no reason to physically be there or do anything apart from handing fucking Chewie the medal. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I'll pay that one. I was going to say, and that, the, it, maybe that leads into my first one um, with things that maybe they could have explained. It said, Masconata, how the hell did she get Luke that lightsaber? It said, they, they said it was brought up in A Force Awakens. It was never brought back again. Where, they said that was an unanswered question that could have been brought back. Well, Wouldn't have been a, a long one, but it's like saying, where the hell say, did she get this lightsaber from? Yeah, but the whole cantina she's running is full of thieves, thugs. Like, she would have gone on the black market. I think that was pretty much geared towards her. She's got it somehow, and she's Force-sensitive anyway. So that whole thing doesn't – that's not too bad. Mm. Mind you, though, Ray repaired the damn thing off screen as well. Yeah. I, I have a little bit of a problem with that as well, because I that was one of my contentious points initially, was that the lightsaber was destroyed. Did, did no one realise that? But It wasn't destroyed, it was cut in half. No, so, it and, wasn't cut I in mean, half. No one cut it. They pulled it apart with the force. Yeah, it was broken in two. So, yeah, but the crystal exploded. Did it actually? Yeah, because it blew the ships apart at the same time as the hyperspeed happened. Look, if Luke can find a crystal between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, okay, but I'm sure I'm sure she can. Plus, she's got all the journals there, so she already even knows where the uh, for the planet to even get them from. Hear me Kyber out. crystals. Hear me Kyber out. crystals. At the end of the film, and we finally see the lightsaber she has crafted herself. How yeah. crappy did that lightsaber look compared to Luke's one? Like, there is no way she had the skill to rebuild that. She's repairing machines. She's a scavenger. She's pulling apart freaking Death Star or the um, Star Destroyers. I think building a lightsaber wouldn't have been too far out of capabilities. Well, I'll say the fact she knew how to use the Falcon better than what fucking Han did. So, you know, to be fair, Han also stole the Falcon off Corusian. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's probably a bit iffy how good Han actually <laughs> was at the Falcon. I don't know. I, I just think you look at both of those lightsabers and the quality is so different. I... I... I find that um, just annoying, but but my my biggest thing about the film was the villain was Palpatine. Um, I, I can't go past anything else but that as the biggest thing I would change in the film because, you know, when we heard Star Wars was being extended with these three movies, we wanted the expanded universe to get bigger, you know. And when we got Snoke, we were super interested and super motivated to learn about this bad guy. We didn't need the same villain to come back, to have even more ambiguity around how he came back. See, I remember you saying that you love the idea of her being connected to, you know, Ben Kenobi or to the Skywalkers somehow. You've completely turned around on this now. She's not connected to the Skywalkers. No, but she's a Palpatine. We're obviously going to ruin it. But it's still a connection, which is still the same thing in theory. It's just that they've picked a different family line on it. I, like it's it's fan service either way, and then would it have been better if she was a Kenobi, as opposed to a Palpatine? I mean, in the film, it doesn't really pay off either way because she's more conflicted over her family, which is a theme that they completely fucking they screwed up on as well. Is that she built a family with these people? She didn't need the family, and they give her a little bit of lip service at the end when she completely rejects Palpatine. But then it's only the case of good versus dark, not a case of, ooh, this is my great grandpappy doing stuff. So, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm probably end up on a t- divergent talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> I I tend to think 
it made sense for her to be connected to Obi-Wan Kenobi just because of the vision from Force Awakens. He was yep. the main voice in that. It made sense that somehow she was connected to him or somehow he protected her. Um, the whole Palpatine thing, the, the fact that she used Force Lightning without being in the dark side and having trained, I think kind of... I mean, they, they really messed around with the Force powers and the con, the the consistency of that in this film anyway because we got so many new Force powers... We got so many different ways they can actually access them. I think all of them have been established previously in the law. Like nothing was brand new that had not been done elsewhere. I think the problem is though is that it was the strength level of it, and because they worked her up as this big powerful force, or she isn't even that powerful force in Force Awakens, and even in Last Jedi, she's strong, but they don't define how strong she actually is. With this one, they just amp up her power, mm. and because of amp up her power, they suddenly give her the reason. Oh. She's, you know, the kin of Palpatine, which also boxes in the idea of the Force being genetics as opposed to a more spiritual, more outside this yeah, lineage. Just random. Yeah, I mean, Skywalker line is obviously ingrained from the from the get go for specific reasons, but then the Palpatine line or the other lines aren't like that, and everyone else can tap into this power and the Force, but some people have a bit a higher and lower strength. Oh, I've got something to tell you about that. So. Do you remember when they were falling in the quicksand? Yep. And, yep. and um, oh, God, I can't remember his name now. Finn. 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 <laughs> oh, that's bad. Um, Finn was trying to say something to Ray, and we all thought it was he was going to profess his love to her. Yeah. Apparently, yep. what he was going to say was that he was Force-sensitive. Yeah, I've read that one, too. And obviously, that big clue is right at the end of the movie when Where he's he on the... Like- um, yeah, he feels that, and you go, oh, okay. He said, which we've all suspected, I think, for a while now. Like, he picked up the lightsaber in the first movie. He did a terrible job, but yeah. you're going, okay. So he's, he's not completely useless. See, that was a cop-out, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's such a cheap line to even throw into that moment. Mm. The whole film is just full of them, so... <laughs> I just feel like you said, just going back to the Palpatine thing again, and one of the big criticisms from The Force Awakens, right, was that it was just a New Hope 2.0. Yeah. Well, what what have they done here? They've just done, oh, my granddad's um, Palpatine has said, well, that's just, you know, Daddy Vader again. Said, it's just, as you said, it's just another one. Oh, the hero is related to the bad guy. That's the other thing, too, is it's Daddy Palpatine, but it doesn't have the same sort of emotional resonance that Luke and Darth Vader did during that scene mm. in the fucking Emperor's throne room, because Luke is clearly conflicted, but Ray goes into this thing, planning to kill him. And you know, Rizmo mm. doesn't kill him straight out as a case of, well, you kill me, I'm going to absorb you into you. And like, okay, that that's great. It's, what? Where the fuck did that come from? Mm. Yeah. There was a lot and, that happened in such a small point of time, because first we hear him explain that, that plan to her, and then all of a sudden her and Ben are there and then some sort of prophecy or, or something yeah. happens where suddenly Palpatine can absorb their energy, but they're still... The thing, it really, the thing it really reminded me of was like a really bad 90s dub of an anime film. Like, you know how they, they have that sort of cheesy, hokey lineage and dialogue where it just throws it out there. This is the situation. This is what it is. 
And the entire back end of the film felt like that. It's like, oh, I'm leveling up now. Oh, I've got more powers. Oh, I'm going to absorb all the powers of the Sith and then attack you with all the powers of the Jedi. And then it's just a lightning blast to each other. Mm. Like, I mean, they're all five minutes away from just zapping around and hitting each other in the sky. <laughs> yep. Like Matrix Return or Matrix Revolution style. What did you think of Palpatine's death? Uh, no, no. It said it, it was, you know, if he's the big bad guy of the Star Wars universe, that was that was a letdown. But I said, and I don't, I didn't buy that whole, you know, I'm all the Jedi sort of thing. I'm going, uh, and that gives you what power exactly? <laughs> and we're just going to kill you the way that you got your face melted in the, in, you know, the revenge of the Sith. It was said it didn't kill you. Then why is it killing you now? Yeah. One lightsaber yep. melts your face, but two lightsabers oh, it blows your face right off. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was the thing. I mean, like I know, you know, it was nice to hear some of those voices back there. And that's something that you go, well, why weren't all those voices, you know, actually physically present in the scene? Where, where were those force ghosts? Totally said, agree with you. If you if you'd if you'd had them there, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's cliched. It's probably been done a million times. I think Harry Potter's done it. You know, the hands on the shoulders is the big group. Everybody's together, and she's yeah. just the conduit. But it said now you just disembodied voices, and then I mean, they Ray could get, you know, they could break into a dance scene as well. Oh, <laughs> think how good that moment would have been if suddenly Qui Gon appeared, Obi Wan, Leia, and then they could have done a real life version of Ahsoka. Like, fans would have lost their mind at that if they all just well, kind of stood beside her and put a, put a hand on. Apparently her voice was actually in the pile. Yeah, I was, was looking at the, um, the cameo, the same with Kanan. Freddie yeah. Prince Jr. was in there too. So oh, that, was a, I, that was a nice touch. I, was, I would have been the one losing my mind because I said Ahsoka is like pretty much my favourite character from the um, <laughs> that whole prequel setting Clone Wars thing. I said so. would have been fantastic to have seen well, that. What's the thing, though, is that they could have even brought her into the film as a lead, like as a secondary character, because it would have been a perfect callback, and it would have been great symmetry of everything else that's going on with the extended universe. Why they didn't cast her and put her in there? Mm, that's then, true. You know, she has a habit of sort of popping up and helping out these other force sensitive people. She ends mm. training right. Problem solved. Especially because there was an intention in these films to make it more diverse and have more strong female characters in it. That would have played straight into that. And, and being yeah. an organic way of doing it. Speaking of organic, they really didn't put Leia in there properly. Those scenes, I know they were using old shots and old scenes, but the way they were composited him and trying to work him into the scene, there's a couple of shots there where she was talking to Ray, and it's like you could tell there was a break in the dialogue and what they were trying to get her to say to intercommunicate, mm. and it was just creating the uncanny valley. They really should have just, I don't want to say it, but if they killed her off, earlier in the film using the stock footage, I think it would have been far more beneficial. And then it loosens up the new characters to actually do something fresh on their own. They're not held back by legacy characters. Yeah. And I did, I did read something about the, like the previous two films. So force awakens focus on Han, last Jedi focuses on Luke and then rise of Skywalker was going to focus on Leia, but I don't even know how Leia would have even played out in that in the first pass of it. Yeah. Cause at the moment this version, she doesn't even seem to do much. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like, you know, considering the situation, how they handled it, they, they did all right. I think that's, you know, and sorry, we'll probably, I'll probably go on a little tangent and I'll be quick as saying that they maybe needed to re reconsider that when they were making The Last Jedi. They said, I know that they don't, didn't want to change, you know, their story ideas and things like that, but situations change, circumstances change. 
maybe it should have been dealt with in that movie. Yeah. See, I'm kind of curious to know what the original version of the film was. Because apparently, um, I can't pronounce the guy's last name, the original director and writer that was on board for it, they'll um, let, let go about halfway through Last Jedi's production, I think. So I don't think the plan, the overall plan was in place. And I think everything's obviously been shuffled and the cards have been played around with as they went. So I'd love to see what that original version of that film would have been. Because I think it would have had a bit more cohesiveness about it. And it wasn't just a case of just dumping fan service in every 10 minutes. Yeah, that was, um, what's his name, Colin Trevorrow, the yeah, Jurassic, Jurassic World director. Uh, I heard with him that he, he didn't want Luke to be dead in The Last Jedi. He still wanted him around for the last movie. Yeah. So. See, I think that's where the whole trilogy sort of missteps, is they really should have cleaned the table off of the legacy characters in the first trilogy, on the first film, and then given the new characters room to actually breathe and do stuff on their own accord. But obviously the nostalgia, the nostalgia wagon wouldn't let them do that. And they had to keep bringing everyone back and giving them more screen time to try and placate the fans. I think out of all the, the main characters that they should have probably brought back and based the film on, Carrie Fisher wasn't the right one. Like, it would have been... No, it should have been Jake Lloyd, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy needs some work. Uh, I mean, it would, have, it would have been Luke, in my opinion. He should have been the one that, that um, was certainly doing the rounds and promoting the film, but he should have been the one that should have been the focus point of the three films, even if he played a, a Yoda role, where he, we, he only got, like, half an hour worth of screen time as he mentored these people. That's the thing, though, is that I like the arc that we got for him in Last Jedi that feels like a natural progression of where he was at the end of Return of the Jedi, where he's, he's made the, the conscious decision not to fight. He's going to train the next generation. And because of the cycle of good and bad, it goes to shit on him. He deals with it the same way everyone, all the other Jedis have previously dealt with a case of throwing his hands up and just fucking run away. Mm. So I, I like that progression. That seems like a, a natural general progression. If they open the film with him training someone else as the Obi-Wan section on it, that probably would have echoed too much. Yeah. Like, I like the contrast that they had with it. And then it, give, it gives a good reason to wipe out the Jedi and then start afresh. If he was training your batch and it was going well, then you're just repeating the same cycle again and again, which you're doing anyway, but narratively you're not doing that. Like if you, if I, how do I word it? So the idea of wiping the slate clean of Jedis and Siths that they did at the end of this film, they should have done that at the start of the trilogy. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I can see how there's a potential for that to work. I, I think yeah. they could have had those characters throughout the three movies and just had them as very side characters. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, that's why I say legacy characters. It's like, I, I can't think of a point of reference, but there is more sci-fi stories out there where a case of, because you've got the generational gap between the different arcs of the stories. I mean, Robotech's probably a good case of it, with the idea of uh, Rick Hunter comes back in the last section of it as this character that everyone is off-world fighting, and he's more of an idea than an actual character in screen. I think that idea of Luke being this hope and this idea of the myth of him, I think that should have been carried through the films, whereas physically showing him and having him was probably a bad idea. Mm. So you have, the, you have the feeling of a legacy of the character, but we don't actually have the character on screen. And that way you open up the world for new stories and new arcs and new characters and new adventures. Yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah, I mean, we want that expanded Star Wars universe, so to keep going back to what's familiar, it's never going to give us what we want. Yeah. 
Mm. All right, so I've got an idea for how I would change Rise of Skywalker, and I run, I want to run it by you and our listeners, and and give me your opinion on what you think, Wh- whether this would have been better or worse. Or my whole idea is expansion. That's what we want. Different. So okay. get rid of Palpatine as the villain. Palpatine's dead. Yep. He's dead. The villain I would have chosen was a guy called Darth Plagueis. Now, for those of you who read the books or, um, yeah, basically the books. Darth... He's Darth Plagueis the wise. <laughs> yes. Darth Plagueis was Darth Sidious's master. And together they came up with the plan of him becoming the Supreme Chancellor and they enacted it together. So Darth Plagueis in the books was alive in Phantom Menace and helped Sidious become where he was. Now, once Sidious got into power, Sidious then assassinated Plagueis. But let's just say that that failed. He tried to assassinate him, but somehow Plagueis was able to survive. And throughout all of these films, he's been in the background. Now, in this movie, the way I would show that and kind of bring it full circle to show that the prequels and the main and these new ones were all connected, I would have a flashback scene of little kid Anakin and Plagueis meeting. That was actually in the book of both of them, because Plagueis knew about this kid who was born of the Force. He knew that him and Sidious had caused this to happen, and he actually went and he met uh, Anakin in Padme's room. So have that flashback scene. Then have another flashback scene of Plagueis controlling Master Cypher Dias. It brings that full circle because we never found out why Master Safadius ordered the clones. Even in the extended universe, we never really find out why he did that. It would make mm. so much sense for Darth Plagueis to be the one controlling him to do that. See, Safadius, I always assumed it was just their wording of Sidious, but no, it, there, was a, <coughs> there was an actual Master Safadius, and he uh, did okay. do it, but we have no idea why. We assume Sidious controlled him, but it's never actually touched upon. Um, so the reason I would have these flashbacks is because in my version of the film, I would have Ray being a clone. I would have her being a clone of Anakin so that Plagueis took a sample of Anakin's DNA and over these last 30 years that these films have been going on, he has been trying to perfect the cloning process and Snoke was a product of that cloning process. So Snoke still existed, Snoke has died, now Plagueis has to come to the forefront and he has to expose his plan of, of Rey being this next Anakin, this all-powerful, and Rey and Ben have to join up to defeat him. You know, I hate the idea of clones, but I always forget the fact that the Stormtroopers are clones. Yeah. Because I'm like, it's, it ruins the suspension of disbelief, is it? Because you're adding an extra element to the world that... It pushes a bit too far over the edge. And then I remember the fact that there's clones in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, see, I would have... I like the idea of calling back to all those elements and all those extra scenes and then bringing Darth Plagueis in on the background of that. Maybe not the clone section of it. But then it does... That would have been a nicer way of tying up the entire thing, mm. having him pop up in these key moments. The problem is, though, I think in film, you can't deliver that without being just blunt exposition. And it would have completely pulled you out of the story to have these some string of flashbacks of him doing this shit. But I did like the fact that when um, Kylo Ren's going through Palpatine's, whatever it's called, his throne, yeah. whatever that 
area is called, his fucking castle or the, his dungeon, I guess. Maybe his oh, dungeon. Um, Exegol thing, yeah. 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 There is actually a uh, coining tank with Snoke in it. Mm. There's like three or four Snokes just staggered in this fucking coining tank. <laughs> so I like the idea that they did actually consider that, but then they didn't do anything with it. Well, in the comics, there's tons of stories about Palpatine investigating cloning, and he actually clones himself into a newer body. So I feel like by doing a little bit of cloning in that way, not only does it, it means that Anakin, in a way, like the clone of Anakin brings us full circle again, brings balance to the Force again, but it kind of gives homage to all of those fans that have read those stories about the cloning and kind of says, I, I know you've read that, I like that, you know, but not in your face. So the idea, the thing with cloning I don't like about it is it, it doesn't it doesn't give you closure because it's too easy to just recycle it and go back and get, oh, there's another coin doing this now. Oh, yeah, we forgot about that coin over in the left corner. <laughs> oh, I left him in the closet for six years. He's a bit angry now, but he's okay. We'll let him out. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. So, so you, if I was going to change anything, I would have kept the trajectory for Kylo Ren from Force Awakens and Last Jedi in that as those films are progressing, he's turning more and more to the dark side. He's fully accepting the fact that there isn't a tiny thread of hope or good left in him. He is evil. He wants power. He wants he wants the entire galaxy in his fucking clutches, like in his hand. And by the end of Last Jedi, he's still impulsive, but he's got closure on Luke. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been able to get him, but now he's finally got, he's got the First Order completely in his clutches. He can do anything he wants now. And the final film should have him become emperor and that would have been full circle then back on palpatine's rise taking over the seat or taking over the um the senate and all that becoming emperor himself we would have seen his actual rise to Darth to that point at the start of force or sorry the phantom menace and then would have given us a full circle on the darkness side of things and then ray obviously could have been re- uh, rising to you know confront him being the path of the dark side he ends up failing at the end and then self-destructing like, that would have been a nice closure to the series, to the trilogy. And it would have also done something a bit darker that we haven't seen since Revenge of the Sith, where it's ended on a down note, but it's still success. So we've seen the self-destructive nature, or the self-destructive nature of darkness completely destroy him. Like, we didn't need a redemption arc for Kylo Ren. He was beyond redemption at that point. And I think when we got the redemption arc in this film, the reason why it feels so cheap and shoddy in the last second is that the entire thing that pivots him is Ray healing him. And I can't remember where I saw it, but some, uh, there was somebody I was watching about a week or two back, and I was talking about like all it takes is a tiny bit of kindness to bring out the good in people. And the second I saw that, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's you right there. Someone's obviously heard that fucking line before and just decided to write that into it. Because well, his entire... It was Leia's yeah, sacrifice as well that, that turned him. Trying to reach out to him, yeah. yeah. But then... Like, they did kind of establish that in Last Jedi where he pulls back from shooting and then you side pile and ends up firing the board in there that explodes the, uh, the uh, was it the cockpit of the space station? So it, I guess there's, elven, there's relevance for it there, but the same token, though, I just, it just feels really ham-fisted the way they did it at the end. And then by bringing Harrison Ford back in, sorry, spoiler, it was, it was like hammering the point even harder that they're idiots. <laughs> like, like they they didn't have any other tactful way of doing it. It's like, case of okay, we're gonna we're gonna throw some money at Harrison Ford. He can come here and he can just recycle lines from the previous film, and from his previous films again. 
then like mm. he, I'm guessing you got a pretty decent payout from that. Can I, I think that was just pure fan service. <laughs> I want to go back yeah. to the Leia comment you made because uh, it wasn't just Leia touching him that turned him. Uh, a, a big theme in this film is the transfer of power or the transfer of life force. And it was my understanding that when Leia reached out to him as he died, she transferred his life, her life force into him, which kept him alive. And then um, Ray healed him and uh, enabled him to keep going. Because think about the ending when Ben actually dies. Leia's body doesn't disappear into the Force until that moment. Ben dies yeah. and her essence goes as well. See, that's and the thing. Of all, of, of all the things the film tells us badly, it didn't tell us that cleanly. Mm. Like there's, there's exposition dumps for everything else around that, and then they just do this one thing they want to do subtly. I don't know. It's just the filmmaking was really bad in the way it was executed, I think. I yeah. don't mind uh, those I, sort of bits. I, I like looking back on it later on and, and kind of going, oh, that's what that was. Like, yeah, you I, want to I watch like, it a few times. I like the idea of it. I just think, I think the way that they executed, though, it was very first revision y. Mm. It needed a few more passes by another writer or someone just to sort of tidy it all up and then streamline the ideas a bit more. Daniel, what would you change about the film? What would you do differently? Uh, yeah, well, um, I said, like, I, I always wished that back, you know, in the last movie, that that bit where, you know, Luke's on the rock, he didn't fade. He didn't fade at last moment. That, but that was purely because Carrie Fisher wasn't going to be there, um, which that would have just probably sent the movie into a totally different direction. Um, yeah, I'm kind of like, I, it was said, you know, it was like what we were saying there, like, yeah, okay, great. You see Han again. But it was like, mm, did I need to see Han again? They said that part there. Um, I think we're like we touched on how like the ending of it. Like I just sort of went, Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not buying this thing. The thing that I, I, it bothered me a little bit, and I, I don't know how you would how you would fix this. When I walked out of that movie, it was like saying, Oh, is Ray the chosen one now? Is that and that's where I was thinking. And it's been pretty well established the whole way through that Anakin was the chosen one. It was established in the show, in the movies. It was established in the Clone Wars. And it said, so I, I got a little bit worried about when they did that there. And that's why I would have had like all the Jedi together at the ending to, you know, plus to make the ending, you know, a little bit more satisfying when Palpatine goes. But then again, Palpatine's been done. They mm. said he's been dealt with. But it said, I would have liked to have seen, like, you know, what you were saying there, Hayden, is whereas, you know, would have been really good to see Kylo Ren really just go, you know, to the, as dark as he could possibly, possibly go. And even having Ray fighting him, you know, trying to bring him back desperately and then realizing that he's not coming back. Yeah. That would have, that would have been a bit more satisfying than Palpatine, who has been dealt with in a, you know, in fantastic fashion previously. Is said like I have no qualms at all, like you know, picking him up, throwing him down the Death Star core. It said that was a father saving his son. I thought that was you know that's perfect. Mm. But it said, but the way it happened here, I would have changed that. It said like I think Kylo Ren needed to take on that bad guy, that that ultimate bad guy role. What it I will said, say though, the way they had Palpatine on screen with that little fucking hook, so attached to it, he looked fucking cool. Like oh, yeah. that was oh, a yeah. great idea. It was a great way of having him sort of hooked up to the machine, kept alive, but 
D was redundant. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's a bad idea. He just fucking looked cool. <laughs> I, I also find the fact is, and it, it's it's great to, that, you know, you touch on the, you know, in the expanded universe that, you know, we are talking about clones and there's a whole um, arc that was out years ago. I think it was like one of the original ones where he comes back like six, seven years after Return of the yeah. Jedi and Luke goes to the dark side. I've never read it's that one, but I've heard of it. Wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but, has said, but he said for a film that is so exposition heavy and so much going on in that, I kind of was going, okay, he's back. Yeah, I'm not buying this. And said, like, where that actually did need a little bit more meat to it. I think the thing that really annoyed me as well is that the way that Ryan Johnson left The Last Jedi, he'd established the rebels, they're on the ropes, they're on the run, there's only a handful of them left, they've got no support, they've got no team, they're pretty much on their own. But the idea of Luke stepping out in front of the, the First Order on his own to battle the entire armada was this idea of creating hope in a myth that was going to expand. They don't even follow that through in this film at all. Like, Luke should have been a rallying point for the rebels, for everyone to rise up against the First Order. Yeah. And they end up just falling straight back onto the same group, doing the same stuff, doing the same final stand against the Armada on their own. And then even when they send uh, Lando and Chewie out to get reinforcements, it's like every every single choice they made in this film felt like it was written by Reddit after The Last Jedi came out. <laughs> yeah, to, they've said that. To give, to give closure points that they think they needed to do instead of actually having something that was a bit more organic to the trajectory they had in those previous films. Like, if they had, I think the idea of... of the myth of Luke and that whole idea of opening the world up would have been far better way of closing out the entire nine films is that Anakin's the chosen one. His son goes on to become more than what the chosen one was. And then these, these new characters then just carry this on because life keeps going. Yeah. I think that would, have been a, that would have been a perfect way of wrapping up the nine films. And then it even opens it up later on to bring, to come back in later on for new stories. And it probably really would have, you know, sold, again, going back to that thing that Anakin is the chosen one, and it's also giving that weight to those legacy characters that, you know, that's the people that they bring, you know, they, they bring people back to the movie, these movies. So yeah. They, I mean, like, you can't undo what's happened, but as I said, but you can give that character's actions more weight. I, I kind of felt like that was something that, like, you get the idea of it from The Last Jedi, but I don't know if even if they sold it that well there at the time. Yeah, and it, said, well, it could have been. It could have been talked about a lot more. I think the thing, I'm, the main thing I'm thinking of is like, say, Return of the King, is this big grand battle film essentially. Like you've got lines drawn up. The whole thing explodes from the previous two setups to that final story. But then when you get to say Rise of the Rise of Skywalker, it still feels like skirmishes, and half the film is them chasing their tails on some sort of. What's it's, uh fuck? What's it called? It's like a journey adventure, um, MacGuffin chasing, I guess. Yeah, well, that so would be it. Yeah, they spend three quarters of the film MacGuffin chasing, and then it's the same sort of miniature skirmish at the end. They should have just go on big grand finale of everything thrown at the wall. So on that note, just go around all three of us. Do you think that J.J. Abrams? was instructed or did so on his own bat 
did he actually try and clean up from The Last Jedi? Yeah. See, I don't know where the lines are drawn of who said what. It feels like they did, and they've retroactively looked at it, the same as the James Bond films, where if you look at each film, it's a new film based on the public discourse from the previous film, and they try to course correct each time, and then they're throwing it back in the opposite direction. And it feels like this has happened. But it's hard to tell if it's come from Abrams and the scriptwriter Chris Terrier, I think, yeah. or if it's come from the suits higher up calling the shots because they wanted to make it more, more digestible and more streamlined for reviews because they wanted to end it on a happier note when it comes to the you know, the final budget, I guess. So I don't know where the lines are drawn between the two, personally. So you say yes. Somewhere someone said yes. I think so, yeah. It's pretty clear it's, that decision's been made at some point in production. Yeah, and I yep. think it was a stupid one to make. Your thoughts? Uh, I, I'd have to say it's got to be a definite yes. I mean, like, you think with the last one, last year I got rave reviews um, and then, you know, obviously very mixed opinions on the movie um, from the audience. And you can't always go off what the critics say. But you saw what happened six months later with Solo. Solo got slammed. Like, it got it got belted. And it's not, it's not that Solo is a great Star Wars movie. It wasn't as bad as what it, I think it ended up with there. So I'm sure somebody, particularly at Disney, put a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Went, oh yeah, no, we've got to, we've got to do something about this. Otherwise, we're going to have another flop on our hands. So, I, I I'm kind of with you guys. I, I think there are definite moments in the film where you can, you can see that they had to go completely against what, what Ryan Johnson set up. Uh, I think the lightsaber is one of them. The fact they brought that back and didn't just leave it dead. Um. I think, I mean, the fact that at the end of Last Jedi, Kylo Ren said, let it all burn, let it all die, you know. Let the past die. Yeah, and then they brought the past back. We had we had Luke and Leia again, and we had Lando, and so, you know, they basically gave Kylo Ren the middle finger. <laughs> I think that's the thing, though, is that they had this really big idea of motif through The Last Jedi of move forward, and then the nostalgia machine, just they just couldn't bring themselves to do it. And I think that's probably the undoing with the film. Yeah, I, I feel the most sorry for the actors out of all this, especially the young actors. It, it's similar to like the whole Natalie Portman instinct with the prequels, is that they signed up for these three films, they're, they're acting the best they can with the material they get, but it's just subpar. And we have these people who clearly can be good actors. Like We saw them do a really good job, especially Poe in this one, but they're just not given... The, the opportunity to shine. I think the, I mean, when they get all three of them together and actually bounce off each other, I think they do well. It's the second they pull them away from each other and then have to tell the story that is really bad. I think that's where it sort of fails. Where they've got each other sort of bounce off, I think there's, a, there's definitely an energy there that they should have capitalised on more. And I don't think they really have. It's like three films and they've completely wasted the opportunity they had there. Hmm. I just feel like I said we've. And I've read it a few times, and I have to agree with it. I said it was just too much. They were they were trying to they were trying to tick too many boxes off in this movie. They said it just. They said they were, it, then it just ended up being a big rushed, convoluted mess. That's a weird thing, though. It feels like they were ticking boxes the whole time, but then it feels yeah. like they've done. It feels like they've done nothing for two and a half hours. Like I walked out, and I'm like, I guess there were some explosions. Like <laughs> nothing sort of. Apart from a few images, like the Death Star in the water, um, you know, the shots of the... Actually, I really like that last shot with the Ewoks. 
and there was a Star Destroyer behind it with like a someone had clearly done a light speed jump through it. Yeah, I mm. love that shot. That was a great shot. But it's like there's a, there's few memory ideas, but nothing else on the film sort of hangs with you afterwards. Yeah. Let which me is give you a, um, another tidbit that I read about. So you remember the the woman that um, Finn found who was supposed to be another stormtrooper? Yep. I yep. read today that apparently that's Lando Calrissian's long lost daughter. No, uh, that explains why he talks to her at the end and yeah. makes his life can have further adventures. Apparently, after La- after Return of the Jedi, Lando went to try and start a family, and he had a daughter, and she was kidnapped. She was kidnapped by the First Order, and yeah, that's why they had all that dialogue at the end of "Let's find out." And well, that would explain why he was still on that planet. I don't know what the, its name was, but the one that he he stayed on. That would have gone. Oh, well, maybe his daughter disappeared there, and that's why he's staying there. Yeah. See, that's. I mean, that's another thing that really annoys me about all three films. The First Order is stealing kids to turn them into stormtroopers. And they never once go back to that. Like, they go back, they give it a little bit more lip service in this film, but they never really hang on the idea of conceptually of what that actually does to people. Yeah. It's like Finn escapes and then starts killing him. Yeah. And like, and then even throughout the films, like, they, they're killing off all these stormtroopers, but they're establishing the fact that they're just kids that grew up with this idea. So I, it's it's a kind of dark idea, but they never really explore it and do anything with it. Out of the three new films, uh, what was your what was the best moment, the shining moment out of the three films? And then out of the three films, what was the 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 biggest missed opportunity? <laughs> Favorite moment was probably Luke walking out to confront the First Order in Last Jedi. The entire film builds to that moment like it crescendos at that moment of him stepping out into the into the battle mm. like he's the last line of defense he is literally taking down the first order with a lightsaber with a laser sword i mean he even jokes about it early on and sets it up yeah and i love the fact that everything in the film all the diversions all the missteps all the fake outs and red herrings that they have it pretty much builds that idea of him being the last hope him being the last Jedi, him coming out to ignite the spark of hope in whatever's left in the galaxy. So Daniel, what, was, for, what was your yep. favorite? I actually am about 10 seconds behind that one. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think um, same, same movie, same, same part, but it was that moment when Kylo Ren runs through Luke, cuts him with a the lightsaber, then discovers he's not there. And then you see Luke, you know, levitating on Arc 2, just floating there, and you just go, oh, nicely done, son. Well done. Yeah, that's, there, that's, that, that's, that's just the moment you go, how good are you? <laughs> it's also the pacifist moment from Return of the Jedi coming back full circle because mm. he doesn't need to physically engage him to create the point. All he's doing is acting as a ghostly diversion. I think, I think also, I think that were, from memory, like the way the music builds up in there again, again, thank you, John Williams. But I said just that, it just, you know, that emotional moment, and you see the guy, oh, Luke, you are the man. <laughs> yeah. For me, probably the moment out of all three of the films that, that is my favorite moment is Ray's vision. Um, uh, for me, that that's the moment that just got me so excited about the new Star Wars films and, and, I had to watch that many, many times to see every little little bit that was in there, and it was layered so well with possibilities that um, when I saw Force Awakens and I saw that vision, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so good. Like, yeah, that that's my moment. 
Mm. Um, my biggest missed opportunity is um, Captain Phasma. She was such a good character. She could have been such a good character. And I, I think, you know, like Hayden says, with the, like you say, Hayden, with the, um, the stealing of the kids and the clone troopers, she could have been a real vehicle to address that. Yep. But even just yep. to push Finn's character so much more than what he was, um, yeah, that, that's my missed opportunity. Ooh, I don't know where to start for missed opportunities. You've got to pick one. Um, just one. Okay. <laughs> just one? Okay, Rise of Skywalker. That's the entire missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> the whole film's a missed opportunity. <laughs> uh. I'm serious with that, too. The whole film is a missed opportunity. Daniel? <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, 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 there's a lot. I mean, like I obviously, I touched on the one before. Like I said, I think, you know, in light of Carrie Fisher passing, that I said, I think there was more of an opportunity for Luke there. I think they missed here. That, as I said, I think that beacon of hope idea was yeah. never there and it should have been there. Mm. And as I said, mm. and uh, just another one, just a small one, just a small one. Can I have a small one? You can have a small one. <laughs> should have killed should have killed Hux off in the in the last Jedi. He was useless in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Should have just gone with General Pride or whatever his name was the whole time. <laughs> Actually the uh the thing with Mark well bringing Luke back in this film, like in Rise of the, uh, Rise of Skywalker, he didn't feel like the Luke from the previous film mm. at all. Mm-hmm. It's like they completely rewrote him to be whatever the fan expectation was of Luke. But then realized he was dead. So they made him a ghost doing exactly the same thing. Even like Mark entire... Hamill addressed that. Yeah, he said the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it just it was so shoddy. Uh, what I was going to say, you know how shoddy it was. What was going on with that wig? <laughs> he had some flowing hair, didn't he? He had he was... some flowing hair in the hut, and then he's outside lifting up the X-Wing, and it's back to, you know, last year. I'm going, dude, what's going on with your hair? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even paying that much attention to it by that point. <laughs> Well, I think that's the thing about Star Wars. You could talk about it all day and still not be finished. So we're going to leave it there and um, let you, the listeners, decide which which changes do you like. Do you want uh, Hayden's idea of the Rise of Skywalker being about Luke the myth? Do you want Daniel's idea of Rise of Skywalker being about Kylo Ren becoming the ultimate empire in his self-destruction? Or do you like my idea about Rey being a clone? of Anakin and Darth Plagueis being the main villain. So uh, jump on our Instagram and let us know which one you prefer. Uh, big thanks to Daniel and Hayden for chatting Star Wars. I, I know I didn't have to twist your arm too much. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you so much for coming on and talking Star Wars. And um, all our listeners, jump on our Instagram and let us know what you prefer. Thank you. Mm, thanks for having us, mate. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker was produced by Kathleen Kennedy, J.J. Abrams, and Michelle Rewan for Lucasfilm Limited and Bad Robot Productions. Music was composed by John Williams. The clips you heard in this podcast are credited to them. Movie Relics will be back in 2020, but for now, we leave you with a fan-made Star Wars song by Nerd Out. Enjoy Song to the End. I 
answer all these days Every starving place Every dream we ever hold to see Come from near and far To ignite this spark Maybe we'll rewrite our destiny Story of legends from our past Will we be destined a last day starving place how will you rewrite your destiny Yo, what's up, guys? It's Jack from NetOut. I hope you enjoyed our song for Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker. This movie is so good. Go check it out in cinemas if you haven't already. Yo, it's Christmas, so we are giving away over $1,500 worth of prizes, including a Nintendo Switch, an Xbox One S, a PS4 Slim, gaming chairs, Amazon gift vouchers, Nintendo Switch games, NerdOut merch. All of that could be yours. Link in the description below to enter. You can enter by just simply subscribing to us on YouTube, which if you're watching this video, we already know you are. Make sure you're around tomorrow for another song, and we'll see you soon. Peace.